Donald Trump. Is this Trump. the famous Matt Katz that's got a book out? That, uh, well, he doesn't have it out yet. It's a rumor I heard that he's actually going to finish a, the book someday. A famous author. Yeah, I, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I, will, I will tell you that his, that his wife and his children are really anticipating the book coming out. They really are. They're, they're the only ones more excited than me. He I tried can to sell you. it to me last night. Did he's he? not even finished it's, it. She's shameless, right? <laughs> shameless. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. Don't be stupid. Sit down and shut up. Who cares? Even in New Jersey, what you're doing is called rude. Get the hell off the beach. Do you want to hear the answer or don't you? I have no interest in answering your question. I'm huggable and lovable. I'm David First. It comes with the job. If you cover Governor Christie long enough, you're going to be on the receiving end of some serious put-downs. And as New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz can tell you, those insults carry extra weight when delivered in as public a setting as possible. Here's Christie, for example, at his uh, well-attended press conference four years ago when he announced he wouldn't be running for president in 2012. I've given such great TV exposure to some of the local reporters. I mean, who's going to have cats on TV now that I'm out of this race? Nobody is going to have cats on TV. You won't be able to get on News 12, for God's sake. So... And now that he is running in 2016, that tradition of mocking Matt at press events continues. Governor, uh, homicides are actually up this year compared to this time last year in Camden. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad, Matt, that, that um, you've now found yourself to be a law enforcement expert, and you oh, can yeah, add, and you can ex- and you can analyze the numbers. Is it still? The, the, I, I think I just answered the question. Next, Governor, just uh, wondering if. Um, no, no chance, Matt. Try raise your hand again. You, you know. You ask two completely off-topic questions, you're, you're 0 for 2. And Christy always seemed to especially relish teasing Matt on the trail about that book he kept working on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as anxious as the book company to see if you might actually finish something at some point. Well, it may sometimes be hard to get a question in, but Matt has been able to finish that book on Christy. After years of reporting and uh, working on this book, it is officially on the shelves American Governor Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption tells a fascinating story of Christie's rise and assembles an extensive timeline on the scandal that nearly ended his career. We're joined now by Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for New Jersey Public Radio and WNYC. And Matt, congrats on the book and welcome back. Thank you, David. Matt, you have a a reputation for exhaustive reporting and attention to detail how did I know that a Matt Katz book on Chris Christie would begin in 1666? <laughs> I mean, those are the first two words, chapter one, line one. You take us back to the early settlements in Newark. You should have seen all the stuff I cut out about the history of New Jersey. This is like a book on the Beatles going back to, I don't know, Viking settlements around Liverpool. (laughs) That's right. I mean, it is somewhat equivalent to that. I was trying to zoom the camera back a bit so you could not only understand Christopher J. Christie as a person, more by understanding where he came from ancestrally, but also understand the environment in which he inhabited New Jersey and specifically Newark, New Jersey, where he was born, uh, give the reader a fuller impression of that place too. Looking at um, the history of New Jersey and New Jersey politics and trying to understand where this thread of New Jersey political corruption sort of came from was a really one of the most enjoyable processes in writing the book for me, as was researching Christie's personal history. I 
I think I learned things that even the governor himself didn't know about um, his relatives and, and where they came from. Well, you've been covering uh, Chris Christie for five years now. You could probably fill a bookshelf with all of the stuff you wanted to cover. But ultimately, what story did you want to tell with this book? And and I did. I wrote um, over 100,000 more words than anybody, including my editor or even Chris Christie himself, would have wanted to read about (laughs) Chris Christie. And I cut all of that. And that was because I was looking to do two things. First, I was looking to tell an entertaining story about somebody who I genuinely think is the most compelling politician in America today. And I also wanted to keep... Uh, to what is a pretty clear arc to that story, which is a rise, a fall, and an attempted comeback, which is what we're seeing right now. And the second thing I wanted to do is to give an honest assessment of his career as a politician for those who may be judging him vis-a-vis the White House and for potential voters, not only in the New Hampshire primary coming up in a couple of weeks, but potentially in a general election if he should make it that far. Uh, this was not a, an attempt to uh, knock him down. This was not an attempt to build him up. This was an attempt to call balls and strikes. And if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're somewhere in between, you can read this book and take from it as much as you'd like and decide whether... Uh, he makes sense in your mind against whatever candidate he's writing about. So I, I was cognizant of the fact that this was landing in the middle of a campaign. Well, the the meat of this story seems to begin with you asking the governor about, uh, you know, those pesky lane closures, those lanes leading to the George Washington Bridge that were mysteriously shut down in September 2013. Uh, and uh, this is the famous moment back before we knew very much about Bridgegate, Uh, when the governor famously responded by, you know, mocking you at a press conference. I worked the cones, actually, on that. (laughs) Unbeknownst to everybody, I was actually the guy out there. I was in overalls and a hat, so I wasn't... But I actually was the guy working the cones out there. You really are not serious. Yes, that moment uh, at the press conference was... It'll probably go on my tombstone. Bridgegate really changed everything for him and for uh, the book. Uh, he won re-election in November 2013. He won 61% of the vote. He won most of the Hispanic vote. There were polls taken immediately afterwards that showed that not only was he dominating the Republican field for the presidency, but he was in shouting distance of Hillary Clinton to beat her in a general election. That's when I sold the book. That's also at that about that same time when I went over to WNYC. I had been covering him for several years for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And the first Christie press conference I went to in the State House as a WNYC reporter, as a radio reporter, uh, was this one where I asked him about, you know, what was then a sort of a uh, below the radar scandal. So that moment was significant for me professionally and significant for him politically. And that's why I opened the book there. And I also opened the book there because later in the book, I devoted about 100 pages to going through the scandal in um, very specific detail. You sat down for two interviews with the governor for this book, and one of the topics you asked about was Bridgegate. And we're going to hear a few excerpts from your book as read by WNYC hosts and reporters And here is a passage where you describe that interview. I'm not talking about it, Christy says to me. 
We're sitting down for our second interview for this book in a conference room within a suite of offices that the government of New Jersey maintains for the governor near the train station in downtown Newark. I choose not to talk about it. It's a choice. I'm asking about Bridgegate. This is going to be a very quick part of this. He warns me. I risk a general question. I ask if there's a different perspective, a different way to look at what went down in the very beginning, when the lanes closed and Fort Lee Mayor Mark Sokolich could not get an answer, any kind of answer, from the Christie administration about what in the world was happening. Sokolich is freaking out about public safety, I remind Christie, and everyone is ignoring his calls and emails and texts. Is there another way to view that other than a coordinated non-response? I have nothing to say about that, he says to me flatly. He's unhappy about where this is going, so I make the miscalculation of trying to break the ice with a joke, a Bridgegate joke. This is like the David Wildstein testimony in front of Wisniewski, I say. In that legislative testimony, of course, Wildstein pleaded the fifth and didn't answer Assemblyman John Wisniewski's questions. Well, that was insulting. I'm not going to kick you out after saying something like that, but you're coming close. I've never been in a more uncomfortable room. So, yeah, a bit of an uncomfortable moment in the office there. Yes. And, you know, the interview um, moved on from there to other topics, but I actually don't know if... um, as a reporter, if I might have miscalculated in how I handled the whole thing, because I wonder if he was less forthcoming in the rest of the interview because he was put into such a foul mood by my probing Bridgegate questions in the beginning. I, I want to hear another excerpt from the book. Uh, this is a section here um, where you're talking about a particular closet and uh, the role it plays in the lives of uh, Chris and his wife, Mary Pat Christie. We argue with each other pretty well, but we have a much different house than the one I grew up in, he told me. When they need to air it out, they go to Mary Pat's walk-in closet, the farthest away from the children's rooms. Christie bemoaned that as governor, he couldn't fight in front of the children or the state troopers who follow him around, so, quote, it's getting really restricting. Think about this, he said. You go to some party with your wife, right? And this invariably happens to every married couple. Something happens at the party, whatever, that pisses you off. The great moment is when you get in the car and go, are you kidding me? And you have it out. So by the time you get home, it's washed out. Would you want to do that in front of a New Jersey state trooper? I mean, it's a fascinating excerpt to me because on one hand, that excerpt tells us how much he is trying to not fight in front of the kids. He he wants to set up a different environment uh, to the way he grew up. Uh, but he he really needs to fight. Yes, he um, feels very deeply one way or the other. He cries and he yells and he has a lot of emotion that he can control. I don't think he gets enough credit for his ability to control his emotion always because I do think he has that capacity. Um, but he also sort of, uh, yeah, needs to, needs to let it out and is in touch with his emotions. I mean, he went to counseling, he, he, he admitted to me, uh, for his marriage. And I think that shows somebody who has an emotional maturity that maybe some of us wouldn't necessarily expect. Here's one more excerpt. This is a portion of the book where the governor is remembering his phone call with President Obama just before Obama is making plans to come visit New Jersey in the wake of Superstorm Sandy. Christie didn't keep a journal during those days of Sandy. He wishes he had, but he vividly remembered his conversation with the president. So I pick up the phone and I hear, Chris, it's Barack. How are you? I say, it's tough up here, Mr. President. 
Obama says, how are Mary Pat and the kids? I'm like, we're all fine. They're at the governor's mansion. They're okay. And Obama says, listen, I want to come tomorrow. And I say, great. And Obama says, but is is that going to put you in a tough position? After all, we were exactly a week away from Election Day. Christie would be welcoming someone to his state whom he had openly and aggressively campaigned against for almost a year. The president and the governor were well aware of the political implications of a trip like this. And I said, tough position. You are the president of the United States, so tell me where and when, and I will be there. And Obama says, great, I'll have our staffs work it out. And I say, I'll see you tomorrow. And Obama says, now... If you need anything, call any cabinet member. I've told all of them. They have 15 minutes to call you back. And if they break the 15-minute rule, you call me. And I said, I will, Mr. President. Thank you. See you tomorrow. As we know, uh, the, the photos taken that day that Obama did arrive in New Jersey are photos that are, are continuing to uh, haunt Governor Christie on the campaign trail in 2016. Yes. The quote-unquote famous hug photo that, uh, as you've said many times before, was not actually a hug. It was not actually a hug. Those few days after Sandy were a, a next-level experience for him. Let me start with I just never thought I would see uh, what I saw today, ever. Um, we started in, uh, in Belmar when I walked on the boardwalk in Belmar this summer. Um, it's gone. It's not there. Uh, he was dealing with a absolute tragedy in his home state. And I got to see, as I recount in the book, how he dealt with that up close, how he hugged uh, victims on the ground, how meaningful those moments that he had with those victims was to people who were so affected by Sandy. And welcoming the president to the Jersey Shore was something that I authentically believe that he had to do um, in the best interest of his state. That's what he believed at the time. The president has been all over this, and he deserves great credit. Um, I've been on the phone with him, like I said, yesterday personally three times. He gave me his number at the White House, told me to call him if I needed anything, and, and, and he absolutely means it. Looking at it from the lens of 2016 politics, it, it certainly looks different, but it was an incredible time. Any word from the Christie camp now that the book has been published? Some of his people have read excerpts uh, from what I have heard from them. And so far, I have gotten a um, positive reception from them in that they said I have been accurate. But I imagine I'll hear a lot more feedback after another week or two. And I imagine the feedback will be mixed. I already know from the early reviews of the book that the perspective in which you can read it is widely varied. Um, there was one review that said that I didn't have enough distance and that I uh, liked him too much to give necessarily the most fair portrait of him. And then there was another review that called this a complete takedown of the governor and said, I threw the book at him and his administration. And if New Jersey reads the book, they'll be up in arms about uh, what a poor governor he's been. So I imagine the, uh, the response from Team Christie will be along those lines. Well, I want to ask you just to, to finish up here, Matt. What has covering Governor Christie done to you and what has it done for you? I mean, will you ever have a beat like this again? Will you ever cover a character as compelling as this guy again? 
It's a highly unusual beat to cover one person for so long who is not the president of the United States or the Pope. And I don't think I'll ever do something like this again. Uh, it's also pretty all-consuming. I mean, I regularly you know, wake up in the middle of the night. Let's say my baby's crying downstairs and I have to go, uh, go check on him. So I'll, I'm like kind of startled out of sleep. And I realized that, you know, I had just been dreaming about the governor of New Jersey. And often, (laughs) often, I'm not like, it's not a a dream about a press conference. Often it's some other random dream. And he's just kind of there. You know, he's just there's some he I could be dreaming about the Mets any or or I could be dreaming that I'm on a space shuttle, but he's just there. Well, Matt, when you get your uh, your big movie deal for American Governor, it can pay for the years of therapy that you're going to need uh, to recover. Uh, New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz, his book, American Governor, Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption, is out now. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you, David. Who's going to play you in the American Governor movie? Oh, you know, probably John Cryer or somebody like that. <laughs> That's good. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. And thanks to our guest voices on those excerpts from Matt's book. WNYC's Brian Lair, Anna Sale, Satirius Johnson, Nancy Solomon, and Jim O'Grady. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. And you can follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. I'm David First. And, Governor, now that Matt's book is out, is it your turn? I'm not in this for a book deal or a Fox News show. I'm in this to win and be president of the United States. 